So it's been another week of ups and downs with complete joy, uh, comfort, I should say, in Christmas going off just as well as I could possibly imagine here in Rockford, combined with the utter despair of having my brain scattered across the desk of some other man who I only met a week ago. He, he took my brain from me. I gave it to him in, in sadness because my brain apparently needed energy. And he said, I can give it energy, but it'll be a few days. And, and a week later, having not been able to get through on the phone, uh, I, I went in to, to just kind of check and make sure that they were open at all. Maybe they didn't close up their windows or anything like that, close up shop. And uh, he wasn't there, but his wife was. She called him. He said, oh, yeah, I've been trying. I don't know. It's, it's in pieces. Uh, I'll try one more time tomorrow. After that, I'm giving up. And it's like, oh, man, that's not what I wanted to hear. So the ups and downs of that are manifold, as you might imagine. The worst of it, the worst of it is just not knowing and not being able to fix it, right? So if I have a new computer, which my elders are probably going to end up, I mean, if it doesn't fix it today, we're going to get a new computer. But but if I had it in hand, I could like begin addressing my problem. I could begin downloading things. I could begin, you know, re resetting up my brain. But I don't have that. And so everything has been on like weird stalled out pause like like you would think it would be oh good i'm on vacation but but no it's been the opposite of that it's been a completely uh mind destroying fearful anxiety of not knowing <laughs> of, of not being able to capture information the way that i want to 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 uh, process that information so that i can know where it's supposed to go and and you might say well what about everbook pastor fisk it's, yeah yeah everbook's there too but to some extent, I had stopped. <clears throat> I had stopped using EverBook on a, on a day to day task list for a week because it just there was just too much. And and I'm also it's a different it's a tangent here, but uh, trying to get myself to make smaller daily lists and weekly lists because I'm tired of overestimating my time for the week and then feeling really bad about it at the end of the week. So I want to create lists that are achievable. And part of that means getting a little distance between me and, and what's in EverBook and, and more into um, like kind of a digital on the screen right now thing. Anyhow, I just started doing that, right? And so like the week that I had kind of like my vacation week of don't forget these things during vacation week, like that's part of what vanished. <laughs> so, no. Uh, um, so anyhow, blah. All of this congeals to make it so that this week's podcast not only has the bad sound of a flying fan computer, because I'm in a closet without all of the sound padding up that I need to cut out cardboard and glue together and all this other stuff to put on the walls, um, and the computer, which is marvelously powerful, but also then makes a fan noise, is sitting there. So you can hear them in the background. Uh, if you can't, God bless you, but those who listen can. And uh, so all these things to make it not as cool as it should be, right? Or as, as, as you've maybe come to expect, as I have been working gradually toward, because if you've been following any of this stuff, you know that the, there's been a few ups and downs in, you know, what the sound path is, what the tech path is, what the even name of what I'm doing is, right? I mean, we, yeah, you, yeah, we, 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 we've gone down this. I don't need to rehash all of that. <laughs> um, and if, if that's all new to you, well, you know, awesome. Welcome to the, welcome to life. Welcome to the show. Uh, but you, you've stuck with me and, and this is the thing that I am, I want to ponder here and, and is really in my head and it may not be, it may not really be, uh, what's the right word here? Not quality is the wrong, the wrong way to say it. 
it may not be officially etiquette allowed content for a podcast. Not my podcast, not, not a Christian podcast, but for any podcast. I may indeed be doing something that is completely, completely faux pas. I don't know. Maybe not. But it's what's in my brain as a result of all of this just scatteredness. It's not like it's bad. Life's fine, right? I ate food yesterday. My house is warm. My wife loves me. My kids had a great day, great couple of days. So that's all fine. But like in the back of my scattered little head, there's been just this this string, this run of randomized chaos that it really started in July, if I'm honest, but but has has left me unable to get to a place of, of what I might call uh, focused um, certainty uh, with next week. <laughs> uh, it's left me unable to be there since July, and it won't stop, and it keeps kind of going down. Every time I think I'm closer to the, to the climbing my way out of this pit, I realize like it's like you get to the top, and it's like, oh, no, there's just a bigger pit up there. Um, so, so anyhow, uh, <laughs> what all of that has done at this point has gotten me wrestling with a question and, and it has something to do with the podcast. It has something to do with the YouTube stuff. It, it has something to do with the books, although less so, but see, and we talked about this on the YouTube show last week, the books, pure theology, right? People, I've had people write to me and say, I love your books. I don't know why you do your show the way you do. You should do more like your books. Okay, awesome. Thank you for the somewhat backhanded compliment. The books have sold because of all the other stuff, right? And it's not that it's not that Concordia Publishing House doesn't sell any books or if they publish stuff in their catalog, pastors and people won't buy it. But insofar as they've sold better than others when they do, which is not always, but, but it has happened, uh, it has been all tied to the the phenomenon that is accidentally becoming internet youtube not famous not even close uh but lcms famous blah 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 that's not even it that's not even my point the thing that i don't get is why like i know why on you know in 2012 13 i know why my youtube channel did well and it wasn't me it's not like I was terrible, although sometimes it was, in fact, terrible. Uh, it, it has everything to do with Facebook wanting to prove their market model to show that things that they decided people would see more often would be seen more often and actually liked more often and connected to more often, that they could manipulate the Facebook user into seeing what they preferred the user to see and, and then chasing it a little bit. And this was their market model. They could show it with numbers secretly to giant corporations and say, see, if you advertise with us, we can do this for you. And in order to do this, what they chose to use was anybody who was posting video content at the time, which just so happened to be me, right? There weren't a lot. There were some, there were all sorts of cats and things like that, you know, Nincat and uh, double rainbows and all this stuff was going on. But if you were in any way posting video content regularly, which I was twice a week, two videos a week, boom. Okay. If you were doing it regularly, you were automatically being boosted by Facebook's algorithms to a level that would make everybody else think you were popular. And then by virtue of them having created that perception, you would then be popular. That's how the YouTube channel happened. That's why my views got to where they are and why they're not there now. 
and why anybody who just goes into YouTube right now has trouble getting anywhere near that level. I think Brian uh, Wolfmuller, he's working hard to try to get his channel up to that level again. I don't think he's quite reached it, um, but it's like a primary goal for his, and he's posting and posting and posting and posting. He's got multiple people helping him. So there, there's the, the effort to get to that point, which was just all randomly just happened earlier. Um, I know that. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Uh, I, I believe... I believe this anyway about life, and this is somewhere else I want to go this morning uh, into like Ecclesiastes a little bit. That that we we think way too highly of our ability to construct our futures, and and as a guy who loves uh, productivity, who loves goal setting, who who loves hacking life, because you can on a certain level hack life. I also love and and want to emphasize for you, right? For you, I want to emphasize that. At the end of the day, you don't have any control over any of it. <laughs> you really don't. It is all uh, being laid out for you, whether by time and chaos. Some people would have to believe that because that's their system uh, or, or by the Lord himself. So I, I got no problem with it all being accidental. I got no problem with uh, thinking that somehow uh, I'm just a stooge who happens to repeat things he hears better than maybe um, a rock would. Uh, and, and so at least you can listen straight through, right? And and follow a train of thought, even though that train might veer, squirrel, from time to time. So so I got no problem with any of that. But what I don't understand still, and what I want to understand, because I think it's going to, I think if I can understand it, then then this podcast will be better, basically. Uh, if I can understand this, is why on earth would you listen to this podcast? Now, if you're on the YouTube channel watching right now, as I'm, I'm kind of double recording this week because of the chaos, you're like, well, it's Saturday morning, I'm bored, YouTube's on, and you talk about Jesus and other stuff. Okay, cool. Thank you. That, that's all right. And there's only about 50 of you that really do that, right, on a regular basis. So that's not like this a uh, uh, big number. But the podcast is, the numbers continue to grow slowly, the nice bell curve, right where you want them, really. You don't want exponential growth. I mean, you, you do kind of want to be just like promoted by NBC, right? But but if you're going to build your own podcast from the ground up, you expect a, a bell curve of growth or the opposite would be it doesn't grow at all and then you should just stop doing it. So that's all there. And that is in spite of the fact that it's not been the same podcast the whole time. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect this to Patreon here because, and this, this is really the issue, for everything else that I'm doing, including the YouTube channel, including the comic book, uh, including other books that are sort of in work, in the works, including the, the, the God willing, some t-shirts, blah, 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 blah. Um, all of it, the funding model is is the podcast through Patreon. And there's all sorts of issues we could talk about with Patreon, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. What 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 I don't understand and what I'm trying to understand is how and why the podcast bell curve continues to be a, a nice, gradual incline that, in, in theory, if that goes the right way, eventually it does start to compound. And if you know compounding, then you get it. If you don't, go look up compounding. You definitely want to invest with compounding interest. That's important. Anyway, um, and, and the Patreon 
support also has followed that model. So it's really fascinating to me how for for the majority of you on on Patreon, you give a dollar twenty five per podcast, which amounts to about five dollars per month. There are, uh, as you would expect, there there is a. Uh, this is also bell curved out. This, I should stop using bell curve. There's another way to call this uh, this type of line, and it it's weird because in in science slash the study of creation, study of humans especially, you find that this curve is always in play, where you have outliers. And then you have a middle that's that's large. In any case, uh, as you would expect, there is a, a large number of dollar twenty-five givers. There's a smaller number of five-dollar per show givers, and then there's a very, very, very tiny number of twenty-dollar per show givers. Um, and then there's one guy, God bless you, man, uh, who's up there at fifty bucks a show. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so that's that's all kind of expected to be like that. And then every month. Uh, Every month there is there are those of you who pull out, and it's been those who give twenty, and it's been those who give a buck twenty-five, and it's been those who give five. But it's it's always really random, and yet with that, there's always been just enough of you joining that that never goes backwards, right? It continues this this slow growth bell curve of of the show, um, and it's right on schedule. I mean, I, I made this gambit, I made this. Um, uh, risk last summer when I stopped working for KFUO uh, that I, I believed that based on the way the bell curve looked that I would be able to survive financially uh, by letting go of KFUO, focusing in on the podcast and making it kind of the thing and that this curve would continue and be what KFUO was paying me within a couple months and, and we're there like now, like last month. So that's all there, right? And that's great. And thank you, right? I'm not, I'm not, I don't, this is not a boast session. Uh, this is, this is me, again, in the chaos, trying to understand why. Because it's not any good for anything if I don't know why, right? It, it isn't about, it shouldn't be about, this is Fisk's space to do whatever the heck Fisk wants to do. Right? It shouldn't be that. That's not why you would support me, I don't think. And I don't want that if that's the case. But at the same time, it shouldn't be the other way around. And this is why the, the evolution of the show itself has been such a thing. Like as I, was, as I was trying to figure out what I could do and not quit doing it after two or three years, but, but what I would enjoy doing forever, um, you know, all my life long... I tried a bunch of different things. I tried being Dan Carlin, and I've tried being Tim Ferriss, right? Lutheran style. Um, I've tried tried being Joe Rogan a little bit as well. And uh, wh what I know from all of this uh, is that there's a, you know, I can't be somebody else. That's what I know. I'm, I'm not going to be able to pretend to be them for a long time. I can emulate a lot of different stuff in a moment. And that's fun for a moment to figure that out, how to do a Tan Carlin-style show. But to do it every week, I mean, the guy takes three months to do his, um, to, to do it every week, uh, it just, it's not that I, I, that I, if, you know, if I was a slave and, and you're my owner and it's eat or we kill you, right? Not eat, uh, make it or we kill you and you don't eat. Like, yeah, I, I guess I could do it. <clears throat> that's not the world we live in now. And I don't think that's what you like about the podcast. But that's what I'm trying to figure out. That's what I'm trying to figure out. And 
And so again, you know, why is this podcast? Well, what is this podcast? The Mad Christian Podcast. It's certainly Fisk talking out loud about stuff that's in his head. There's, I mean, duh, right? I mean, that, that, that's there. And the stuff that is in his head is being run through a, a prism, which is the worldview of Christianity, right? And is the everlasting worldview. It's the, it's the worldview that makes sense of all things ultimately, including our own disbelief in the worldview, which is an amazing amazing tool to have at your disposal. So so we're we're sitting here and you are for some reason considering my processing of life through the Christian worldview to be something which helps you process life through the Christian worldview. Yeah? Uh, it, this is not preaching, right? It's not the same thing as preaching, but it's neither is it distinct from preaching. And part of me wonders whether or not our preaching couldn't use a little more of this, although you got to be careful because ego's there, right? The human's there and you certainly don't want to preach yourself. Yeah. So, so, so I think I was right. What I just said there, right? Was I right? Um, because then what happens is this, right? So, so here's, here's how this conundrum happens to me. So it's, it's the day after Christmas and I'm frustrated because I don't have my computer and I realize, oh man, it's been a whole week. I don't have a podcast up yet. What am I going to do? My plan had been to edit a old talk I'd given that it was a, it's available online in video form, but it's not really well viewed. Um, so I was going to take it, I was going to uh, edit it, and I was going to then repost it as the podcast this week. And that should have taken me about an hour to do that. And for the week after Christmas, you know, it's, everyone's kind of slower anyway. It's like, okay, fine. Right? I, I assume that my, my, my listening audience, now this is not YouTube, although if you're on YouTube, you're watching, but, but my listening audience, I'm assuming that like, you're like, okay, I, I like this. This is more of that. I can fit this in. If it were that every week, I think I'd probably start tuning out. But it's, you know, it's the week after Christmas. I get it, right? So, so you know, I, I do that sparingly um, unless it's new content, brand new content, uh, because I want to respect the fact that, that you're listening. I want to respect your time. Uh, I want to give you things that are going to be valuable to you, right? Um, while also <laughs> uh, not force, forcing it, right? Pretending to, to like it so that you will listen to it or something like that. Or, or you know, being a dancing monkey. I, I, I don't want to be that. I can't be that. I'm not that. Blah. So then it, that, that couldn't happen that the the way to do that is on the other computer. And could it happen on this computer? Yes, but the, the hurdles to get there is like I just want to crawl in a hole and die when I when I think about that process. Uh, <laughs> um, so instead, no, here I am asking, okay, so if I do a podcast, <laughs> talking about doing the podcast, does that count? How many of you are going to stop supporting me on Patreon if I do a podcast talking about the podcast and doing a podcast and asking why you listen to the podcast? It, it, maybe that's not maybe that's not nearly as full pause as I think it is. And it's not the only thing I'm going to talk about. But, but maybe it is. We've gone 20 minutes now. But that's that's my question because what happened? Here's what happened in my head, right? Thursday when I'm like, "Oh no, I didn't actually get this done. I don't think I'm getting my computer back today. I'm calling. The guy's not answering. I'm calling. The guy's answering. And say, yeah, he's not getting back today. I'll wait till tomorrow. Hopefully tomorrow. And, you know, what's going through my head at that moment is if I just sit down at a microphone and talk, 
that's not enough. That's what's going through my head. If I just sit down and talk about life and theology as it's impacting me right now, that is not enough. In some way, I have to manufacture some other thing. Otherwise, you're going to pull out. Now, that might be true, it might not be true, but that's what I want to know. I want to know if that's true. I want to know how interesting this is. 20 minutes, what do you think? Now, again, YouTube, you don't count. This is not the normal thing for you. It's totally, I'm working in a different medium through different mediums. So, you're just long for the ride this morning because I'm hitting two birds with one stone because of the chaos, okay? But, for those of you on the podcast, those of you who are Patreon supporters, right? What did this do? This 20 minutes. What did it do? Now, I I don't think that sitting down and talking about talking about talking about the podcast is really entertaining. <laughs> it's just what's in my head, right? It's just what's in my head. It's what I'm 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 battling to understand its place, particularly because it is the financial gear at the center of the other things that, in theory, some of you have reached out to me and we're going to start building a, a volunteer, half-volunteer staff to do more, which is awesome. I'm, 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 my wife asked me yesterday in the car, you know, uh, what are you excited about right now? Like, what's going on right now in life that's exciting? And I got all existential and philosophical on her, which was not cool of me. But because um, uh, I was like, the way you asked the question was weird. Blah, blah. And that, that was just me, again, in my despair and chaos, being unable to, to realize she just wanted to know what I was interested in at the moment. Um, but <laughs> duh, uh, bleh, exactly. Uh, dumb men. Um, <laughs> what I am excited about, though, what, what does excite me is the possibility that crowd-sourced production is not a, a pipe dream. Now, if you go to Wikipedia in the last week, two weeks, it's the end of the year, end of the year, they put this big thing on the front. It's like, well, it's free, but it's not. It's crowd-sourced, but it's not. <laughs> right? um, we need you to help. And, and they, they probably do. If they didn't have a liberal bent as an organization, I think I'd be more willing to help. I just don't trust them as an organization, and I think someone else will rise up and tell me how many, you know, protons are in, um, you know, plutonium if I need to look that up. And there's wikis for other things that are interesting that are run only by those who like those things, right? And so a, a universal Wikipedia um, is not is not necessary to my life. Uh, I think that scientists would manage their own chemistry wiki if Wikipedia was gone. But But the reason I share that is that the, the model of the crowdsource or the, the Clay Shirky, here comes everybody, internet explosion. Uh, and Clay Shirky is a, a prof in New York who uh, wrote a book called Here Comes Everybody about the leveraging of all of this kind of flattened earth, uh, this international online community how it can pull us as individuals to do more together in small steps than we would ever do alone or even as a group of three or four in, say, a corporation or something like that. Uh, and, you know, when I, when I read the book, I thought, and this is back in early YouTube days for me, uh, this is 2006, 2007, I was like totally like, yep, this is amazing. Uh, 
But then my my attempts to experiment with crowdsourcing um, were up and down. And and what I found is that while many people are willing and and engaged with an idea, like I ask on Facebook, hey, anybody want to help me do a transcript? Anybody want to help me translate this thing or re-edit this thing? And people say yes, and then they start, and then it it kind of fades. And and that also interestingly happened to me as as the manager of at least two different types of projects that were started that way. And I'm not entirely confident why that was either. Other than that, I kind of hoped the crowd would source itself, and uh, and so maybe that's kind of the, the the problem. There was my lack of of leadership and push in the matter. At the same time, um, well, that, that uh, if you're not that interested in it, it doesn't matter. If the guy's saying, "Hey, have you done it?" You're going to be like, "My life is busy. This is free. I I just don't have time for this right now." And let me just stop you right now. If you're like, "We should do things for free because we love them or love love God," okay, you're right. We're still humans too, and we're still in this fallen world. And you know, as as much as everyone should do everything for free and love their neighbor as themselves all the time, we don't. And so that when you're actually dealing with with a project, you can't just rely on goodwill. And this is this is just it with with a volunteer crowdsource. It's not goodwill that makes people do what they're doing. When somebody goes in and edits Wikipedia, they make the edit. It's not goodwill. It's actually probably rage a little bit. They're like, that's wrong. You know, that's unjust. Must fix, right? Uh, the original person might have had like this moment of, uh, it wasn't altruism though, I don't think at all. It was a moment of passionate desire for an idea or a topic. Like, I love plutonium. I live for plutonium. Here's my information about plutonium. And then someone came along and was like, that's wrong. I got to fix that. And then they, and then they trolled it. And, you know, and there's a little argument. Finally, eventually through people who are just really passionate about plutonium, you get an article on plutonium. So, so that's not that's not just like goodwill driving that. That's passion for for something. So, so this this all connects. I'm coming back, right? M- my question is, what is the what is the unifying factor among you who listen to this show still, right? I'm talking not YouTube. I'm talking podcast. Who still listen to this show? What is the unifying factor in your passions? Because it can't be hardcore history style theology because you're still here and it can't be i don't think any of you were that interested well maybe you were i don't know it can't be you know productivity questioning of of random people who also have theological bents although i don't think that's disinteresting and neither do i think that the hardcore history i almost golly i almost opened up revelation today and just said you know forget <laughs> forget studying and prepping for hours, which that needs uh, to do it the way it was done and just try to do it anyway. I almost did it, right? Revelation Unleashed almost was there and and, and maybe it could be, but, but not until I get this thing behind me here, right? Um, what is What is the unifying passion that leads you to listen to this podcast, not watch the YouTube channel, listen to the podcast, while you're driving around, uh, that leads you to support the podcast financially. What's what's the golden thread that's running through this up and down and weird and left and right? Because I mean, I, there's lots of podcasts out there. I I have more on my phone than I can get to, and I actually get frustrated with those who produce too much content. 
because then I have to go and I have to delete things I would like to listen to, but I can't because there's too many other ones. And this is not going to stop, by the way. That's going to continue forever. There is more stuff being made every day right now than you can watch or listen to in a lifetime. So, so, but that's why I want to know, I want to, I want to, I want to lynch in on and hold on and be comfortable with the unifying thread. And I'm really hoping that what I said earlier is the unifying thread, because if, if that is true, then I can, I can not look back, right? I can sit here and I'd be like, okay, my computer fell apart. Well, I'll just turn on the computer and talk about nothing for an hour because I have to do that this week and no one's going to back out on me and quit. Weird, you know, to get a little too personal, golly, do I have rejection issues or what? Man alive, Fisk. And it's, I, I say that like a joke to you at the camera, but it really is true. It's something I've known for a long time. I wrestle with it, but look at it impact this. Every little minus 125 on Patreon's like like my poor little soul. Someone on the playground made fun of me, and I'm going to go cry about it. It's unreal. I don't think I'm alone in being like this to some extent. This is why we all rage quit everything and troll everything and just mouth off on Facebook and don't think about what we're writing. Is is because of this. We're all a bunch of snowflakes. Oh, so unique and special and melting, right? But But... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna change that condition of my American reality, like some, you know, magisterial rock lord coming objectively from the ground and never being like the Americans that I am one of. I have to call it what it is, and then face it and deal with it as it is. And as it is on Thursday. When my computer's not here and I need a podcast up, my greatest fear is that I put out a podcast that is insufficient and you stop listening. That's it. And it has dominated me for two and a half days, intellectually, emotionally, which means spiritually. And it's not as though my Christianity's not been there with it. D don't get me wrong on this. But it's well, this is, this is it, you know, this is what I, I'm actually facing as mad Christianity. I'm done ignoring stuff like this, whether it's in my own head and heart or whether it's in the church, right? If uh, the congregation, uh, the church body, American Christianity, worldwide Christianity, I'm, I'm just so tired of letting it all stay inside my head and not talking about it. Like that's what the podcast became the day I became the mad Christian, right? Uh, it, it, it's not angry Christian. It's just filterless Christian. <laughs> Although I still have a filter. But but uh, to some extent, I'm intentionally removing the filter. And, and, and part of that is because I, I actually, I think that may be part of what's always been the drive, even back to YouTube. So, so clearly... When I repeat well what Christianity is with words that you would use without having to think about what they mean, when I do that, if I stopped doing that, I think everything would vanish. I think the whole thing would collapse. So that's part of it. But I think the other part of it is, um, I think the other part of it is, I've always 
kind of shot straight and called it like I saw it. But that was always in, in a particular arena, right? And what what I'm doing, because I want to now, for my own sake, for my own head and sanity, for my own faith, is I'm doing that on purpose. And I'm, I'm kind of beginning to think that that's the other golden thread. So you have these two things that are tied to each other. Uh, one is the clear and succinct repetition, he has risen, flowing in and out of everything I'm thinking about and saying, God be praised that it, it's happening because I can't take credit for any of that. And I have no way to promise it'll be there forever other than to trust in his promise that it will be for me. So pray for me on that one. Um, but then the other one is, um, yeah, being open, forthright, straight up. No chaser, right? Oh, Easter egg. The um, Now, I got a buddy who doesn't like this, and I, I love this guy. I love him desperately, and he always has been one to push back on me. And uh, when a good friend pushes back on you, it's a gift from God. Uh, you know, When an enemy pushes back on you, they just desire your harm. When a good friend does it, they desire your well-being. And whether they're right or wrong, it's a gift to have your iron sharpened, as it were. And he thinks we're in great danger from authenticity in the present age. And, and I, I don't think he's wrong at all in this. I would agree. It's, it's sort of what the snowflake problem is. is it's, like an, it's an over-idolizing of authenticity. An over-idolizing of, I'm just going to be who I am and I never need to change. And, and there certainly is grand risk in that uh, to, to society and to, to our spirituality. Because our spirituality is not about our own personal authenticity at all. It's not about being you. Except for then when it is, when it's about being the you God created and regenerated and is regenerating that's real and is you. See, there, there it is about authenticity. But, but it's not just that because the, the whole language of authenticity is coming out of secular conversations. So, it, you know, the Bible's not, hey, be authentic. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't say that. It just says things like, don't be one who hears the word and forgets it, like one who looks in a mirror and then can't remember what he looks like a moment later. It's not about authenticity proper. It's about believing proper. But then that's just it. If Christians no longer authentically, adverb, weakens the sentence, believe, well, then Christians no longer forget the adverb, believe. And we could run into this, you know, the, the, felicitous, the felicitous inconsistency, Dr. Francis Pieper's insight or at least repetition of a glorious truth from the scriptures that God's grace is greater than our lack of faithfulness. And so just because someone does not authentically understand and apply what they believe, that does not mean that they do not believe at all. That their, their childish faith, which is a gift from the Spirit, has not departed from them yet. Um, so so that, that's a good thing to keep in mind here. But when the Lord you know, told Israel to repent, and then told them to repent, and then told them to repent, and then told them to repent... There were those felicitous, felicitously inconsistently still within the covenant. 
for a time until there weren't. And um, that's not a line we get to see drawn in the sand. By the time the Lord brings the famine of the word, when he takes away the clear preaching of Jesus risen from the dead, you know, the cross, all this, by the time that happens, you don't get to see it and be like, oh, that's sad that happens. Like, like Jeremiah saw that, but, but no one else really sees that part go away. In fact, they think, they think it's the best it's ever been. They think they're at the top of their game. They think that they're going to topple Babylon you know, as, as an army, right? Uh, it, it, it's that bad. So you have you have that on the one side, like, and it should it should induce us to some fear and some trepidation, and then on the other side, you have and and forgive me on this one if there is definitely disagreement and room for disagreement on this within faithful Lutheran conversation, but I um I don't think I can be persuaded otherwise at this point. And, and, and I tried to be. I tried to let myself be persuaded otherwise. Back when I was working for KFUO, we started doing some series, uh, moving through various sections of the Bible, sometimes at one verse at a time, uh, sometimes at multiple verses. And we spent some time both in Hebrews 11 and then in Genesis. And uh, in both of those places, we had to reckon with Abraham, Abraham's faith, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's faith. And... One of the, the, the things that um, I guess I was a little surprised about because I'd never heard this before, but there were a number of guys who are super faithful who took a very different position than me on Abraham's faith and Jacob's faith during moments in their life that look awfully unfaithful. Giving your wife to another man as a wife without telling him because you're afraid he's going to kill you if he knows she's your wife. Like, that's not the kind of thing that somebody who thinks he can't die says or does, right? And all the arguments for why it was a faithful thing based on his stewarding of the family and their needs, it's all from Luther. And uh, God bless pious Luther. He did not want to deride the patriarchs. And, and I get it. I don't want to deride the patriarchs either, I want to learn from them, and I want to learn from God who God is through seeing them, and so be free to believe that God's promises to Abraham were greater than Abraham's understanding of the promises. Because that grace is the foundation I want to stand upon amidst the ruins of this world rather than wallow in the muck with everybody else. I want to know that underneath my feet is such a firm foundation laid in the cornerstone of Jesus Christ that it cannot fail. Even though I'm completely failing. I want to know that. I want to know that if I am a soft antinomian today or yesterday or on an afternoon accidentally, I want to know that Jesus isn't leaving me behind at that moment. And I believe that's what Abraham and Jacob show us and teach us, that God gives a promise and then he doesn't back off on his promise. And even when they keep trying to not trust the promise, God keeps bringing 
a reason for them to trust the promise. And then, and that's where then it gets to this point though. And this is, this is what I, I, I think we lose if we don't understand or, or look at it this way. What we lose is that when Abraham does then go to sacrifice Isaac according to the word of God. And when Jacob does crawl across the, the plains with the sun rising over Penuel to, to kneel before Esau. At those two moments, these guys who had the promises and then had been regularly, felicitously inconsistent and probably still were later in life. But at those moments, they gripped those promises with, well, you could say both hands, but with, with their mind and their heart conjoined. And they acted on the basis of certainty in those promises. And forget, you know, that's what we should do as American Christianity. Yes, of course. That's what I want to do as a human. Like what you're watching, the 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 train wreck that is that is my life on display through podcast and video, if, if you think it's that, if you, you know, if that's what it's come to, because I know there's some of you that think that, th- th- that train wreck, well, somebody's called me unhinged recently. That was a fun one. That's me wanting to have the promise underfoot and know it rather than thinking I've got to get that promise underfoot by my own means, right? I'm not trying to put the promise underfoot. I'm trying to believe it's there no matter what. And that on that foundation, everything else that's happened and is happening, not just in my life, but in yours, in the world, is the design of our Lord Jesus ascended, working, by word and spirit to pull us, his body, together into resurrection. And so whether or not you stop patronizing me (laughs) in both ways doesn't matter. Because if you do, then that's part of his plan. And if you don't, that's part of his plan. If, if the Lord wants to destroy my laptop and take away from me the, the, the files that saved the audio editing for the Mad Christian intro and outro, then the Lord's going to do that. And it's for the good of the universe. Now, I'm not saying that I, in every moment of every second, I'm going to be able to take everything that goes wrong and say, good. Oh, this is great. Thank you, God. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying on the big stuff, on the life decisions. I want to be comfortable trusting God. (laughs) I want to be comfortable with my faith. It's not that I don't have the faith. Abraham had the faith. Jacob had the faith. They weren't comfortable trusting it, though. They weren't comfortable trusting it. That's what I want. I want to become, does this make sense? Saying it this way? I zealously desire to be comfortable trusting my God. And I, and the reason, hmm, sin is always going to make us not trust God, right? In this side of life, the, the unbeliever is never going to trust God. But I'm, I'm internally, emotionally, intellectually at a point where my saint is saying, 
I'm kind of done listening to that. So that even though it's going to be there, even though it's going to come out and influence me, it's going to affect me, like, objectively being able to say, I don't care. <laughs> uh, to the flesh's fear. Right? To step by, you know what, flesh? I feel it, but I don't care. And I'm going to act on that because I know a different answer. Um, that's what I'm after here in my own head. Now, I don't, the, the, the grand risk in this is, I mean, that could sound a whole lot like pietism if you're not careful, right? Uh, or if you are a pietist, you're like, yeah, right? So, so this is what pietism did is it, it came upon an age of Christianity where everything had become so intellectualized. And it's like, well, we need more heart. And then what happened, right? Oh, man, did we get way too much heart. <laughs> and we got no head. We lost the head. We, we completely had Christianity's um, intellectual tradition uh, just de demonized, really. Theology became a bad word and still is to this day. So, you know, the, the danger in this is to think that there's some sort of next level Christianity. And, and that is not what I'm trying to say here at all. I don't think there is one Christianity. But I do believe that the renewing of the mind never stops. So you're on one level. And in that one level, there is always renewing of the mind going on. There is always an increase in the holiness of your life. There is always a mortification, a destroying of the fleshly side of your life going on. There is always a greater knowing of who God is, which is not merely an intellectual pursuit, but is not without intellectual pursuit. That reality doesn't stop. There is always a reforming of you. The Reformation is, is, is the theme the Reformation is return from exile. The Reformation is exodus from, from Egypt. The Reformation sees each day and says, yesterday I was an unbeliever, but today I'm born again. And as that happens, you will desire to grow in what you know and believe and say and stand on. And yeah, you're always going to see it as less to some extent, you're always going to feel weaker than you were. You're always going to feel more fleshly than you were because you're going to be more actually aware of how bad you are. You it's not that you got more fleshly. You just never paid attention to it. <laughs> you couldn't see it. You're too busy justifying it. So, so your sin will increase in your own eyes, not decrease. But at the same time, your resistance against it will also increase. Your hatred of it. Now, how can we live in this life any longer, having been baptized into Christ? How, how can we bear with this? How long, O oh Lord? Right? That will only increase. As it does, step locked, lock stepped with it, will increase a willful, intellectual merging of your heart and your spirit and the truth of God's word with the, the desire to speak it, the desire to stand on it, not as one who builds it underneath your feet, as one who simply, again, is comfortable believing it's there. So that 
the thing that scares you most while it's still going to scare you. And you can pick up your sword and fight. And I'm going to die. I don't care. I'm pick up my sword and fight. And maybe it's all pietism. <laughs> I hope not, because I hate pietism with a passion. And I certainly don't want to be there myself or send animals back to it. And by the way, if you're a super scholar on pietism, then don't get too narrow on the definition of that term, because that I've had that happen too. Um, but uh, what what pietism's movement became, that, that's not what we need at all. We need less of that. That's part of what the destruction has been. Uh, but what we do need, I'm convinced, is is knowledge of God. And somehow, some way, I want to be free here with you. I want to believe that you're listening. Not only because I'm like entertaining or clever. I don't want you to listen because of those things. Because if that's what's that's the thing that the fear is. That's why it's like, oh, I if I don't do it the way I did it last time, like that's all self-driven. That's all like I was clever, I was funny, I did this thing. Did you find that movement? Blah 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 blah. Like like I want to, I want to, I want to unleash myself from that, and just pursue knowing who God is, according to the scriptures. Yes, call. Listen to me defend myself with inerrant scriptures, right? Um, I want, I want to pursue knowing who God, God is, and and this is this gets finally what what are we forty nine minutes to the, uh, the the topic in last week's show. Theology, theologos, words about God. But more than that, everlasting principles about God, the, the, the true knowing of God. And interestingly, in this, this little book, uh, Theology of the Lutheran Way, which I'm just barely into again, the, the book itself seems to be about, at least in part, the trouble with that word. So there's this opening section on Plato. Do you know the word theology? is used by Christians because of Plato. <laughs> it's not really a biblical word at all. Uh, that Plato... Oh, where is it here? Plato inserts the word into the Greek language and Greek thought. He codifies the word as a way of talking about things, as a way of trying to encourage a just society by both uh, decrying the theology that existed the knowledge of the gods which existed in his present society merely according to the uh, the epic writers right homer and whatnot Aeschylus, all that stuff and he says those gods aren't real that's not true but even though there isn't really a god or gods like that at all we have to know that there is a god of sorts who is both what is it good and unchangeable in order that people might not be evil, right? So it's, it's not, for him, it's so pragmatic. It's not even about whether or not it's true. It's that if people don't know that or think that it's true, then they'll be bad. So they got to think God is good. They got to think God is unchangeable. Otherwise we won't have a just society. Now he's not wrong and he's not right at the same time. And it's clearly, if that's theology, if, if, if the term in English theology means playing in Plato's category of a good, unchangeable God with our heads so that we might bend people to be not as bad as they could be. If that's the codified reality of the term, then that isn't very helpful to us Christians. Because that's not our term. That's not how we know God. That's not why we know God. 
Is it true that if we don't have God, the world gets evil? Yes, that's true. Is it true that if we don't have knowledge of God, then the world gets evil? Yes, that's true. But is that why we need knowledge of God? Do we need to know God for us? Is that what it's about? Like, like we're going to somehow use this now to make ourselves better? This is the first sin, my friends, to justify ourselves with knowledge. Hmm. Hmm. Knowing God is its own end. It doesn't need a result. Knowing who God really is, is its own end. It is life itself. It is light itself. Now, if I say theology is its own end, and you think a bunch of terms written on a board that I have to memorize, that sounds awful, right? That's not heaven. Yeah, no, it's not. Because insofar as it is strictly knowledge, it is Platonic, Aristotelian, Greek thinking about one God among many, and we just say ours is the true one, and the end of it is merely a just society that we manipulate with the law, and a law we don't even necessarily believe. Now, maybe that's too broad a brush, but... um. I think it's worth thinking deeply on. Knowing God, theology, I'm going to use that word less and less in the first word more and more. Knowing God is not about knowing what knowing God is. It's about you knowing God. It, uh, theology is not what God is. It is who knows the real God. And the question of how do you know the real God? Where do you know the real God? And then this becomes someplace I think modern Lutherans are uncomfortable. This must intrude on the realm of personal experience. You cannot know God without experiencing knowing God. I'm not saying rolling on the ground and barking like a dog and speaking in tongues. That would be knowing false gods. But you don't know God without experiencing knowing God. The question is, where, how, when, who? Which God? That's important. But just as important is the experience itself. It, it must be experienced. It must be authentic, right? That's just it. And so where is that? When does this happen? And this is the question this guy's starting to wrestle with here, right? Right off the bat, this is this is what the, the question he, he needs to know is. And then it, I couldn't believe how, how quickly it got into this idea. And this is such a, a, a Dr. Luther idea. Uh, oratio, meditatio, tentatio, and you know, oratio, prayer, not meaning you with your heart praying, meaning the scriptures being like just over you. Like the words are just on you. You look at the wall and there's scripture there. You hear it read to you. You speak it. You memorize it. You read it. Whatever. That's prayer. And meditatio, this is, this is the study of or the, uh, the, the, the actual intellectualizing of these words of prayer, which are the whole scriptures. So here you have your science of theology, right? Your, your, your knowledge 
of what the scriptures say. And, and Bible studies tend to go in this direction, right? They're, they're all about the science of the Bible. Here is what the Bible says. It's in this order. These people are there. And that's all really important. Like you need this. Like if you go try to watch, um, well, uh, tangent, uh, if you try to go watch Avengers Endgame without having seen any of the previous 10 years of Marvel movies, like you might come out of it and be like, that was kind of interesting. But you're going to be really confused and probably very dissatisfied. And if you go watch just uh, Infinity War and Endgame, you're still going to end up kind of dissatisfied because you don't know who these people are. You don't know what's already happened to them. When when, when Black Widow, and, you know, spoiler, but, I mean, if you haven't watched, you got plenty of time. When, when Black Widow sacrifices herself, not only for the world, but also for, for Hawkeye, when that happens, right, um, for Clint, it's really, it's really for Clint, um, that moment's powerful. And it probably is powerful no matter what, but it's all the more powerful if you know who they are and how they got to this point. And how that's not her. <laughs> it's not what she would have done. And it's, it, you know, the Iron Man thing is exactly the same point. That, uh, it, you know, the, the series, the, the phase whatever two, phase one and two series that ends with the phrase, I am Iron Man, and the snap of a finger, and, and the death. Of Tony Stark. A sacrificial death. Heroic. Messianic sacrificial death. That it, that it begins. With a Tony Stark who would never do that. Nothing in the world could make him do that. He would defend and protect himself at all costs. And sacrifice everybody else. So. It means more when you have the backstory. So, so when you're in Bible study. In theory. What we're doing is we're giving you the backstory. Or we should be. Right? You're trying to get that understanding. But then the question is, if I just go and, and give you a textbook on the first nine years of Marvel movies, you know, a glossary of terms. Iron Man is this. You know, Captain America is that. These things happened. Bullet points. Like, you would have more of the information for when it mattered, but it still, it still wouldn't do what just having the whole story happen in front of your eyes and with your heart as well does. So, meditatio has a place, but it's insufficient. And, and so where's the sufficiency? And this is what, I mean, watching the movies, or my analogies are really crashing into each other, I, I suppose, but, but to watch the movies is what Luther calls tentatio. And this is a word that is, is difficult to translate. We don't have a word for it. It's the same root, or, or like the literal translation is temptation. But our English just, it's not even close. It really, the overlap is such a small overlap in semantic meaning that, that it's really not worth your time to even use the word temptation for tentatio. Um, there's a way to get there, but it takes about three or four intellectual jumps to get there. You could, and it has been translated as suffering, and that's not bad either because uh, that it, that has a different edge. It gets more or another edge of the semantic field, uh, semantic field, the meaning of words, to overlap between the German and, and the English. But it's not right either. And, and suffering, by the way, I mean, you want to talk Greek philosophy. Greek philosophy was all about that suffering just produces truth, and this is Stoicism and, and then some. So it's, it's, it's more than just that. So prayer, 
meditation, suffering, prayer, meditation, temptation, neither of those are really sufficient. We, we don't have a term. I have not heard a term that really gets there. Um, experience almost gets there. But then see, we're immediately in trouble, right? How do you know God? Prayer, meditation, experience. How bad does that sound on its surface, right? Because it's, it's none of those things. It's more like liturgy, dogma. Ah, See, so you, you fall apart with experience, life, faith. All of those are too vanilla. They're too bland. Um, they're too open. You can fill it with too many things. Uh, you know, uh, liturgy, life, their confluence. Where, where liturgy and life meet. That, that's what Luther's getting at. That's where faith grows. So I answered a question on Twitter this week, a little tiny video, uh, not directly questioning for me, but I took it up anyway, on how and why to read the Psalms when you come to a Psalm that is about things that um, you don't feel. And she was looking at Psalm 13. There's... There's tougher ones than Psalm 13 out there, let me tell you. <laughs> Psalm 13 is pretty easy. Uh, um, but the thing was, so, so she, what she's wrestling with is the psalm has words of deep sadness in them. I am sad in this way, and here's why, and Lord help me, why you've abandoned me, all this. And she was like, I don't know how to you know, pray that. I don't know how to feel that. I have no place of confluence for that in my life. Yeah. I have no place where the dogma that it would teach me to think about and the praying of it as action, where they come together for me to me to feel. And this is not just feeling, but but this part of it, right? Where head and heart are, are bound as one. And the answer uh, is, 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 is a simple one, at least initially, which is like, look, your job is not to manufacture emotions from the Bible. Like the Bible's not there for you to be like, I'm going to feel like it says, right? That, that, that just isn't your job ever. And it's certainly not the job in the Psalms. And a nice hack for this is to know the Psalms aren't yours. You're supposed to pray them. You're supposed to read them. And eventually you are going to feel them to some extent, at least, because you are one with the guy to whom they do belong. And that's Jesus. So, so every one of those Psalms is really Jesus's own prayer as a human being to the Father. So the Son of God joining with humanity now is praying to the Father these words on our behalf. And so even the things that are, are like, you know, um, for my sin, forgive me, or whatever, right? So in that direction, that's Jesus too. And he's he's just confessing his sin. Now, don't get me wrong here. He did not personally commit a single one, but he stood in the place of sinners and took all of them on his shoulders. So he has all of them. And he feels it. None of that happened without him being in it. His suffering was not a play, a facade. He actually carried the sorrows, all of them. So he's the one praying Psalm 13, and he's the one asking for God to dash the heads of the infants of his enemies against rocks, right? Because he's praying that the devil and his angels be destroyed, right? I mean, oh, you know? So, so you have to step out of your own head and, and allow Jesus to be your God and your king and believe a little more in the unity of our body with his body, the headship of king over people, particularly as a created order. I'm not talking about the divine right of kings, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm talking about Adam versus Jesus. 
and that Jesus now is your king, meaning you're in his body, you're tied to him. And so he's going to drag you up to heaven, whether you understand it or not. He's going to drag you into paradise, whether you understand it or not. But those words are there so that you might understand it from his perspective. And that as you are being renewed in mind by these words all the time, you're actually going to have that experience in your life. It's going to be something which you do feel and understand. That's tentatio. And it's true that to some extent that can't happen when life is working the way you want it to. Like when life is going exactly as you want it to all the time, when there's no suffering, when there's no temptation, when there's no doubt, then there is no knowing who God is. The liturgy and the dogma will cease to have meaning for you as your flesh mounts upon its own pride and uh, relishes its, um, its, its inherent and circular belief that it has achieved these things. I mean, we're, we're like that as Christians. We, lifelong Lutherans, lifelong Baptists, you know, we, we, even when we're blessing God and thanking God, there's a part of us that's like, it, it falls back on, well, it's had something to do with me. I'm not lying face down in a puddle of grace. I'm standing upright uh, in a puddle of grace. Right? Well, uh, you know, the the workers in the vineyard came at the end of the day and some had been there all day long. And some were there only that last hour. They all got paid the same and the guys that were there all day long said, that's not fair. And Jesus, the Lord, said, I'll do what I want with my own money. Thank you very much. And what we take from that often is this idea that he's he, he's saying that I want to be more merciful to them than I am to you, so you have to deal with it. But I think it's maybe a little more the other way around. It's like, oh, you think that that work was worth anything? <laughs> don't, don't you realize I gave you the work? Uh, don't you realize the work I gave you was the, was the thing I'm saving you for and into? That that's the good, that's the life, that's the light? Not that you did those things to get to some other thing that's just a you know a, a, a senseless pleasure fest, but that the, the pleasure is indeed the moment of doing what is good for your neighbor. If that's the created order that was made to begin with and we're being saved back into. And so it's not it's not like you earned something by being there longer. You're far from it. I just had to keep you in grace longer. And that's kind of an annoying thing for me as your God, but I died to make it happen, right? And the pain hurt while I was going through it, but for the joy that it would create, that is you believing that I love you now, I endured that. I endured you. I, I let you be in the garden that whole time. It didn't kick you out. You know what I'm saying? Knowing God is believed in prayer under duress. He knows God who prays under the scriptures in the midst of spiritual attack. Now, those are my words written in the margins here, not his. Knowing God is believed in prayer under duress. And then the duress connects to this idea of critical wickedness, sin, right? Critical wickedness is not a principle. It's not a principle. It's not a point of thought that we 
just kind of maintain. It's a reality. We have a principle called original sin, and we have it to describe the reality. But it's not first a principle and then a reality. It is, it is a reality. And then we have words to describe it. And if you don't like the word sin, that doesn't make it go away. If you don't use the word sin, that doesn't make it go away. Now, I'm gonna, I, I will advocate that maybe the word sin isn't very helpful in convincing people it's there these days. But that doesn't mean that when you're up there and you're like, well, I don't really believe in sin. You know, blah, 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 blah. What? <laughs> Critical wickedness did not go away. Evil did not go away. It's not a principle. It's a reality. <laughs> and in this, all knowing who God is, all theology, all knowing who God is, is not a mere intellectual distraction or distinction. Oh, abstraction, that's the word. An intellectual abstraction. It is history. It is event. Present, past, future, now, always. One God. Now and forever. Amen, right? That's there in the liturgy. That's there in the prayer of the scriptures. Because it's real. Knowing God is not an intellectual abstraction. And this this is why our confirmands are bored, by the way. They're bored because they think this is an intellectual abstraction. It's an idea that they have to know about, like plutonium, right? And, and, and like what? Typing. Typing's more practical, evidently so. Knowing God is not an abstract, a, I need a better word, don't I? Uh, knowing God is not a mind game. Oh, there's all these other notes here I'm, I'm looking at and trying to, to go from there. If and when knowledge of God is detached from He is risen, it becomes... Hmm. A method of orthodoxy. Huh. Yeah, okay. If knowledge of God is detached from he is risen, if it becomes a method for maintaining orthodoxy, it will mutate into a zombie aberration of do-goodism, virtue signaling, dogmatic doctrinarianism, and or wackadoodle dreaming. <laughs> so, so when it's not history anymore, when it's not history, when it, when it becomes instead a metric for testing your orthodoxy. When dogma is not history, but a method for testing your faithfulness, then we will turn it into a method to justify ourselves with. And the result of it will be this aberrant form that has the external trappings of godliness. It looks like godliness. It talks, it tells itself it's godliness, but instead it's an aberration, a, a different form of virtue signaling. And instead of virtue signaling with like, oh, everyone's welcome in our town, right? You know, instead of that one, what we have within the church is, hmm, you're not orthodox if you're not like this. Now, this is not to say there's no such thing as heterodoxy or heresy. Or that orthodoxy can't be destroyed. But the thing is, you can, you can have the words of orthodoxy and not be orthodox. You can turn the words of orthodoxy into your own means of justifying yourself without the meaning of the orthodoxy. 
And that happens when it's detached from history, which means detaching it from liturgy as dogma into experience, confluence. Hmm. Well, is knowing God true or is knowing God real? Is it both? Is it neither? Is that faith? What do you think? Why do you listen to this podcast? Are you still going to? I got one more thing I'm going to give you. It's going too long and, and YouTube's got issues and I, I haven't even checked on you guys. You guys still there? I'll check on you real fast. You're all still there? It looks like I'm still talking. Some comments. Oh, viewers. Okay, cool. Man, don't start at the beginning of this video. Bad. Bad stuff there. Um, all right. I got one more thing to give you. And I kind of wish I had a little more on this. But it came it came back into my head yesterday after talking with a, a friend. And um, it's just such a valuable tool for processing the present moment as a Christian. It's not complete by itself, but it's lacking from a lot of our our modern thinking. It's it's very stoic in that regard. So the reason people like the Stoics is because the Stoics are saying this thing the Bible says here in the book of Ecclesiastes, written long before the Stoics were around, if I'm not mistaken. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 um I'm not going to do a whole thing on Ecclesiastes. It's a tough book. It doesn't seem to be organized the way that a Western mind would engage it. So reading straight through, you're not necessarily going to get a conclusion the way that that you need to. But um, we'll, we'll leave that for what it is. In that, though, the last words of the text I'm looking at here are not really good concluding words. It's more like Proverbs kind of bundled together. But uh, it, it really is potent. So verse 11 of chapter 9 says this. It says, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. The race is not to the swift, the battle not to the strong, bread not to the wise, riches not to the intelligent, favor not to those who have knowledge, rather time and chance. Take everything. Now, as Christians, clearly we do not believe in fate the way that the pagans do. We do not believe in chaos and pure chance the way that the pagans do. Behind time and chance taking all things, we have God. We have the God who really is. The God who we know in the face of Jesus Christ, the baby born in the manger, the man dead and raised again, ascended to his father as the image of the invisible God, more than just a picture, but the one, the logos, the being, that he is life and light and salvation, all that stuff, wisdom itself, incarnate, right? He's the one behind it all, but it sure as heck looks like time and chance, don't it? And it sure as heck feels like time and chance, don't it? Because it is time and chance too. Because you're not inside Jesus' head on your own or just because. And his head is bigger than yours. It's human, yes, but it's also infinite. Sorry, Calvinists. It's both. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's He is infinite in his mind, human. Running all things according to his will. And in this 
what we perceive as time and chance and can only ever perceive as time and chance because his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. As, as that is, as that feels, that's still his good and gracious will for us. Now, we know this is all to keep us in the faith where we would trust in the words he has shared with us. He hasn't shared words about why you like my podcast in the Bible. He, he has not done that. He has not explained that to me. I just have to just figure that one out or have it be time and chance. And that's fine. But in that then, he has given us words to know for sure. Those are the ones in the scriptures. Preeminent among them is he is risen. Preeminent among them is you are washed, you are baptized, you are made clean. But also among them is the fact that what we're going to see when we look at this world is time and chance. No, we will know God in nature as time and chance, chaos, accident, happenstance. And the race of time and chance is not to the swift. You do everything you can possibly do to be right, and you're still going to be wrong. The battle not to the strong. You do everything to prepare, everything to make that goal come to pass, and it does not. Bread not to the wise. You learn and you learn and you learn and you never manage to put it into practice. Riches, not to the intelligent. Yeah, it, Same thing to some extent, but it's not as though... Hmm, how would I say this? It is not as though knowing a thing makes you able to act on it. That kind of sounds like what I just said a moment ago. Um, it's not as though knowledge itself by itself is worth anything. But even that's underneath what came before, even if you have it as more than itself and you attempt to put it into practice, the race is still not to the swift. Time and chance come. A man, next verse, a man does not know his time. Man. Just sit on that one for a while. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds caught in a snare, the children of man are snared at an evil time. It falls upon them. So he's talking about death. Man does not know his time. But he's also talking about zeitgeist. He's talking about uh, the present time ghost. He's, he's talking about where we are and what's around us and how little control we have, even though we like to think we have so much, and how far inside of the present assumptions we are, even though we like to believe, and it is the present assumption that we're so good at not having assumptions, and I can totally see clearly, not like you, <laughs> right? Uh, we, don't, we don't have the ability to be anything less than that. More than that, I should say. Verse 13, I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seems great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it. A great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. That's, that's a potent parable. He's right. I, mean, I saw this thing, and it seemed amazing to me. Like, not like, wow, that's crazy, what's next? Like, no, ponder this one for a long time. There's a small city. No, think, think the Battle of Thermopylae, kind of. It's not a city, but, but think like that. There's, there's a small crew, and there is a great and powerful empire that comes against it with siege works and cannons and trolls and dragons and who knows what. 
And the king is well known, known to history, but a poor man in the city comes up with an idea. It saves everyone, and yet the reality of history is no one knows who he was. His name is lost. He's dust in the wind. Was his saving of the city not valuable because no one remembers his name? That is the question to ask. For you? For me, at least. It's just amazing. We, we really do believe this. We, we believe the value is only in having our name attached. Ultimately. Even if no one else knows it, we want to know it. The value is not being in the vineyard and the labor itself of plucking the grapes. Right, The value is getting paid for plucking the grapes. And yet, it seemed a great thing. Is it a great evil that no one remembers his name, or is it a great good? I say that, a, that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, yet one sinner destroys much good. There's so much here, friends. So much here. Well... For the last part of this here, I'm going to go to YouTube and treat this like it's the YouTube show. But I'm going to keep recording the podcast. Bonus content for you. Uh, we don't got much time left. i got to be somewhere by 9 o'clock. Uh, but uh, um, let's go check on YouTube here for a sec. Got a bunch of comments in the side. Uh, they're all still watching me talk on a talk to a Bible in the camera. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody on YouTube. Thank you for hanging out on this. Let's see here. Is looking at your comments on the side. I can't really drag and drop them into the show. Hopefully, within a week, I'll have a computer and or my old system back so I can I can pull you in. Um, Artist says she'll have this podcast on repeat. Really? Well, that's good. Um, see, I, I, it's like, why? Uh, and and how do, how do I catch that in a bottle? Or are you super unique? And and mm, that's not what everyone else is looking for here, right? And it's not that I need, it's not that it has to be the biggest podcast ever. No. Um, but remember what I said before, that I want the books that I write, which are theologically, ha ha ha, they are, they are, they are to in, increase your actual knowledge of God in the present so that your life experience is better, not by being successful, uh, but by knowing the true God and the grace that you stand on, right? I want that to be there. And books are... Uh, outside of him writing, like the most everlasting way to do that in the present. But to do that, they have to be sold. And to sell them, you actually have to have people have a reason to buy them. And the modicum, the, the process for that is, is this show. <laughs> so I so I need to know why people watch this show so they'll read the books. Well, we said that last week. But anyway, um, why? Um, Jordan loves somebody's avatar. That's awesome. That's a good song. Have you ever seen that? Um, I want to date your avatar. Uh, it's, I just say it's a good song. It's a funny song. It's a funny song. Uh, okay, if you just ran off the cuff and didn't have any content except lack of content, <laughs> I don't think this show would be great overall, but being your authentic self is and that's where you're at is okay. Um, well, see, it's not that I want to have no content. Do you think there's no content in my head? Uh, it's It's more that like what's in my head isn't always what was in my head last week. 
And so like the idea of it being the same all the time is kind of hard. <laughs> um, I, I, was there no content? Was it? And, and, and is talking about the podcast being the podcast not content? Or is it just not the content you're here for? Which that's fine, right? That's fine. And I don't really want to do a show about the podcast being the podcast all the time. But when that's the thing I have to figure out and wrestle with, then it's, then it's what's in my head, right? And, and it's not disconnected from everything I just read and said from Ecclesiastes or from, from this other book. Like, they're all there in a muddle in my head. I don't think it's that muddled. I don't think it's that muddled. I think it's, I think it's very... Uh, is moving in and with and on clarity, which is not me, but is him and his way. And I want to believe that's why you're listening, regardless of what the content is at the moment. It's, it's on the word of God. It's Does this make sense as, a, as English? It's confused with the word of God, like confused, not, not like not making sense, right? But, but conjoined, confused, with, with fused. That was in my head is confused with the word of God. I'm not confusing my head with the word of God, like as, as though I think what's in my head is the word of God. I'm thinking that the word of God's in my head <laughs> uh, because it has been continually going in scripture, confessions, hymnody, liturgy, prayer. And uh, it's babbling out again, but not without engaging what's around. And I want to think that that um, spectacle it's not just why you're watching. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose, but that's funny. Um, it's not just why you're watching. It's worth watching. Because I'm, I'm not alone. And we shouldn't be alone in this. And somehow we kind of think we are. Feel like we are. Practice like we are. Liturgize like we are. So, for what it's worth, um, no new comments since I went into this direction. God's peace to you, my friends. I will see you again in a week. Um, your prayers are always of value to me, but I would rather have you read the Psalms if you haven't started already. Um, but your prayers with regard to uh, some sort of stability... <laughs> when it comes to my tech, my tech world, um, that would be, that would be a real, a real treat. Um, and podcast people, Hey, no, like, like if you're a Patreon subscriber, don't send me a thing through contact. Uh, don't send me a thing. Don't, don't leave a comment on Podbean, uh, in Patreon. If I'm right, you don't have to give me a long paragraph. Um, uh, if, if I'm right. That at the end of the day, the reason you're listening is because you're also bumbling through all of this. And even though it may not all be on point for you, hearing someone else walk theology as life um, gives you a model to you know build on, right? Um, the way Paul says. Yeah. Um, follow me. He doesn't mean I'm great. He means I'm not great. I'm following Jesus. But you can see in that what it looks like to not be great, to, to lie face down in a puddle of grace 
and um, be okay with that. Rejoice in that. Sing songs. Bubbles. Bubbles, bubbles in the puddle of grace and all that. Hey, we'll catch you all on the other side of this thing. Do not wallow in the muck. Rock on. Um, yeah, rock on. <laughs>